Welcome to Kevin on SaaS. This is Kevin DeWalt. Welcome to my regular show about starting and growing a SaaS business. If you appreciate this show, you can actually subscribe to it on iTunes or SoundCloud. And the best way you can thank me and encourage me to continue to do this is just to take out a minute and leave me a quick review on iTunes. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. Well, this week I'm going to be interviewing a friend and someone who is probably familiar to a lot of you, and that's Ash Moria. We're going to talk about Ash's new book, Scaling Lean. I'm not going to say a lot about the book before we start. I actually did a, a rather long, detailed review in a previous episode of this podcast, so you can go back and find that in the feed. But I just will say, for those of you who, who haven't or won't listen to that, that um, Scaling Lean really captures how I work. And I think you'll hear one of my questions to Ash is, you know, why couldn't I have had this book uh, six months ago? And of course, he he responds with what I thought was a fairly clever response, which I'll let you listen to. But um, Ash's, Ash's uh, work is uh, is incredibly valuable. I first started using Ash's Lean Canvas and was a huge early fan of running Lean when he first came out with the book. I guess it was late 2009, 2010. I continue to recommend his work to other entrepreneurs. So if you know somebody who's just starting out, if you're at the beginning stages of working on your SaaS product, you can do a lot worse than starting in by looking at Ash's books and his work. Um, I think Scaling Lean and Running Lean are just two books that belong on every serious entrepreneur's bookshelf. So with that introduction behind us, I give you Ash Moria, author of Scaling Lean. Welcome, Ash Moria. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Kevin. Pleasure to always be uh, talking to you. And are you in Austin right now, or where are you? Yes, I am in Austin. Excellent. Okay, well, I was looking at my uh, Skype messages, and I think the last time we had a Skype call was May of 2013. So um, I know we've known each other a number of years, but I'll just say that it has been way, way too long. I know. Yes. I guess uh, life gets away from us. Um, okay, so Ash, for uh, I suspect that many people listening are familiar with you and your work, but for those who are not and maybe learning about um, Ash Moria for the first time, or maybe even for people who have never done a startup who are thinking about doing so, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, your work, your books, your products? Sure. So I often describe myself as a practicing entrepreneur, and along the way, I stumbled into a number of problems that I was struggling with, um, began writing about it, joined in on the conversation that others were having, like Steve Blank, Eric Ries, and lots of other people in the Lean Startup movement, and uh, just got sucked in. So I was actually doing something very different before I had a, a tech business, which I sold, and now I have a new company called Lean Stack, fairly new. And uh, what I do is really try to work with other entrepreneurs, and together we try to figure out how to make entrepreneurship, you know, work better. Excellent. Okay. And so, um, what are the, what are the previous books you've written before we get into scaling lean, you know, previous products you've bit you, you've built over the past couple of years? Sure. So my first book is running lean. And for me, the big idea there, the big epiphany that I had was realizing that simply brute forcing a solution or building a solution first is not a guarantee of success and is often not the right approach because we spend needless time, money, effort, often building something that we learn nobody wants. And so for me, the big mind shift was trying to reposition the true product of an entrepreneur. And I described the business model as the true product. And that's what running lean was all about. So that was 
the first book in there, I describe a one-page business model format called the Lean Canvas, which some of your listeners might have uh, stumbled into. I, I find that sometimes people stumble into Lean Canvas now before even running Lean, uh, which is kind of a nice, it has a life of its own, which is always good to see. Uh, but that's what the first book was, was really all about, is how do you get outside the building, the metaphorical building, and really engage with customers to de-risk your startup assumptions as, as quickly as possible. Well, um, that's that's great, Ash. Thanks. And um, it, it will come to no surprise for anyone who's read my work or listened to this podcast that I'm obviously a huge fan of what you do. You've had a tremendously positive impact on my work and what I do. Um, I guess my only, my only criticism is it seems like I have to learn too many lessons painfully on myself and by myself. And then when you finally do come out with a new book, I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't I have this six months ago? Um, so <laughs> I'd like you to write, I'd like you to write your next book about a year earlier. That would help me out. Sure. Well, but on, on that note, I, I get those kinds of emails and I will often say that I wish I read my book six months ago too, <laughs> because the only way to learn is, I mean, if you think about it and that's something I talk about in the book is that breakthrough insights or breakthrough learning of any sort comes from unexpected outcomes or failures. And so until you really have that, unexpected, if everything went well, if, if you look, if you interview successful entrepreneurs who have been successful without and I, I don't think that exists but if you found them um, we tend to talk a lot more about the success and it seems like it came easy but there's usually a lot more lessons learned in, in the things that didn't work yeah it really is and you know it's almost like um, you don't really understand what works until you try what doesn't work and yeah. that that helps point out to you what does work because at a, at a distance until you really are in the throes of doing this stuff so much of it looks easy and obvious exactly yeah well, great. So, uh, so let's talk about uh, scaling lean. Um, I know you've been working on this book for a long time. In fact, I have a picture uh, selfie I took of myself in a grimy little coffee shop in Beijing, China, three years ago when I was reading a draft called The Customer Factory. <laughs> Um, so I know you've put a tremendous amount of you know this isn't the, somebody who decided to bang out an ebook in two weeks. You put years of work into this um so you know why has it taken so long to write the book so i i write my books very much by immersing myself in the world of my readers and i've i've had a nice vehicle for doing this since the first book i've been running workshops and boot camps with entrepreneurs and so a lot of the ideas for what i write about comes from the problems that i observe and so once Running Lean came out, there were a few problems that came up about so Running Lean was a very qualitative book. It was, a, it was getting outside and kind of you know, motivating people to go out and do things like customer interviews and talk to customers. When they came back into the building, they were often kind of having to go in front of their stakeholders and talk about what they learned. And I found repeatedly that the learning enough was not, was not sufficient. So I set out to find kind of better ways for the entrepreneur to have those conversations with stakeholders, whether they are budget gatekeepers in a big company or an investor or even themselves. So I often say that the, the founder is the, the biggest stakeholder in the company because they invest with time, which is more valuable than money. But so to answer those questions, I started off by looking at metrics and what you described, the customer factory is one of the concepts I stumbled into. And I thought that would be the whole book. And I began using them in workshops. And as so, I, so yeah, when I when I find kind of an, a possible solution, I take it into my workshops and teach it first for quite a while and refine it, and then start writing a book. 
But in that process, I found that there were a lot more things that just kept added, kept 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 getting uh, adding in, added in. And so my process is really one of you know teach before you write. And so I it just took that long to get it packaged in the way that's that's now in a it's it's a much bigger uh, volume. It's not just the customer factory, but there are a few other concepts in the book that are now in this new book scaling lane. Yeah, I I know that you you noted from my review and, and for anybody who listened to the podcast that heard my review earlier, it is I read the book cover to cover three times, um, <laughs> and uh, and and I don't mean that I flipped through it, you know, on a on the the hop between Savannah and Washington D.C. I meant like coast to coast flight, you know, you know, nothing else to do but me sitting with my iPad thinking. You cover a lot of ground, and it's deceiving, like how much is covered page by page by page and um did you just did you just have to rewrite the book a lot of time to be able to because you don't spend a lot of time on fluff there's not a lot of rambling and and you know in too many business books i feel like you know, they they have one interesting idea they come up with and that's the first third of the book and then the second third of the book kind of a you know ex- expands on it and the last third of the book is just a big waste of time and you can usually <laughs> skip it but you don't do that it's kind of the wrap up yeah and i hate those kinds of books and so i'll usually just read that first third and then stop reading and so yeah so for me i, I always think if you're going to write a book you should write a real book and you should include it and my books tend to be more chronological so they, I usually have a case study that starts from the beginning and goes to the end. And so I'd like to tell that story arc completely and, and show the evolution of the concepts in there. Um, but I describe it a lot like a jigsaw puzzle. That was the other reason why writing took so long is that there were a lot of these pieces. I didn't just go to the lean startup. I went deeper into the scientific method. I went even into a manufacturing and got this new this concept of the theory of constraints. And I began to marry those ideas together and that was a giant jigsaw puzzle, and that's where I realized that the customer factory concept alone, which was a metaphor in the book, was not sufficient. I had to find a way to fit it in, and that was uh, it's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. I, I reordered the book multiple times. Uh, my poor editor had to sit through many, <laughs> not just you know little changes, but me completely reordering you know the book and coming up with different angles and different ways to present it. Uh, but she was very patient and very very talented, so she uh, helped me through that process. Well, I know you, you said that you got a lot of the insights from your workshops, but I know when I've taught workshops in the past, you you kind of – you don't spend a ton of time with every attendee in the workshops. And, and in, in your book, you go into you, – you not only – you don't cover startups at a particular point. You cover a very broad spectrum of the type of businesses, and you cover them through the first – you know, let's say three to four years of the business evolution, and that's that's a tough challenge. How did you get – Besides workshops and your own products, do you do consulting? Do you work with teams? Because uh, that's the impression I got from reading the book. Yeah, so I would say that the workshops is is helpful for for getting a lot. For so for me, uh, there are two things there. One, I look at the questions people ask, and that's a great way of understanding what's really on their mind. Because many of them have read all the Lean Startup books, they've read Running Lean, and many others. And so when they still come with questions, that's an indication to me that something is still unanswered. Uh, but then the other thing that I do in my workshops is I always reserve 20% of it for new content, and I change every workshop with that 20% every time, and I don't tell the audience which which part is new, and so that helps me, again, get a sense. When I first presented the customer factory, I saw confused looks in the room, and you know I would ex- spend more time explaining it, and until I got to a point where people were nodding their heads and got the concept, 
I didn't feel like that was getting through. So that's what I use the workshops for. But beyond that, yes, I, I do run more extended. I don't like to do immerse myself in any one consulting engagement because I feel that uh, that doesn't match my goal, which is one of trying to serve as many people as possible. So I tend to run kind of a, a more scalable version of it. I, I have a boot camp that I run, uh, which is a lot like the online kind of MOOC model. So we have some content, and, and the MVP for the book was actually a video course that I had first created called the Customer Factory Blueprint. Now it's called Bootstart. But I had put that content out there, and people would come and you know, watch all the videos and they were, it was in video format. So they'd watch all the content and then I'd run webinars and then I would have one-on-one sessions with individual or with entrepreneur uh, teams, um, kind of as uh, three to five people on a, over a virtual call. And that's where we began to apply this. And that's where a lot of the, you know, as you were describing a lot of the more kind of tactical application of this got put into practice and got tested and implemented. And, and that helped a lot in, in refining the book even further. Okay, great. That that makes a lot of sense uh, now that I'm now that I've had a chance to read the book uh, several times and, and digest uh, your, your your advice. So l- let me just jump into a little bit more details about the the book itself. So um, you know, there's there's already um, actually. Let me ask a different question first. What kind of entrepreneurs did you have in mind when you decided to write Scanning Lean, and, and what did you hope they would get out of it, and, and how was it, you know, for if someone's sitting back and saying, well, how is this different than, you know, Lean Startup or Running Lean or Steve Blank's book? So, what's different about Scaling Lean versus some of the other startup books that are out there? Sure. So, Scaling Lean, as the name implies, you know, almost seems like a sequel to Running Lean. Although, if I could, if I could go back in time and rewrite the book, there would be the intro chapters of both books in the new book, and then there would be a second book which would cover kind of the more advanced topics. Uh, but, but scaling lean is really intended for 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 people who are starting with a new idea and they need to size that idea. So they need to figure out what metrics are they going to use to measure if that idea is in the first place worth pursuing. How do they go and communicate what we sometimes call traction to their stakeholders? Um, and then how do they measure that? And then how do they apply some of these lean startup techniques to, to kind of uh, rolling that out? Um, running lean was a bit more about, you know, get out, like as, as I said early on, get outside the building, you know, create a business model, go and start validating. But what I found is that without the metrics is, is even myself with, the, with some of the projects we built in uh, lean stack, we went out and we were doing a lot of customer validation up front, but then we'd come back and realize that this opportunity was just too small for us, and then we would stop. And so even those few weeks of time, which is better than few years, uh, don't get me wrong, but even those few weeks of time, we could have saved if we'd done some more kind of goal type of thinking, which is what the second book is about. So if I was put it, if I was to put into context, the scaling in the scaling lean book kind of has a play on the word scaling. So it's ideally used for people who are who have some familiarity with lean thinking, lean techniques, lean startup, and they want to scale the application of it. So there's a section in the book where I talk about as your team begins to grow, uh, it's not as easy to practice because we get into lots of specialization. We get we start building departments. We start having local KPIs uh, for each department. And so I talk about kind of a new way of bringing a team together and practicing this even at scale as the, as the company begins to grow. And then, of course, it has the obvious play on the word for the product. So as your product is scaling, the, the needs change as well. So beyond the early customer development, customer discovery, 
how do you continually get learning and use that learning to create the business model results you want? That's the other play on the scaling. So it's it's intended for people that are ideally beyond their minimum viable product, and they are now trying to get into product market fit and scale. Okay, so let's let's just go through a, a practical example. Um, so this past week, um, I'm, I'm living in Savannah, Georgia now, and I went and spoke at a little, uh, you know, a little, I guess you know, mini uh, workshop to a bunch of entrepreneurs, and most of them uh, had, I would say, the you know pre MVP stages. They were maybe they're doing software consulting, and they have a product they built for uh, one particular client. And they want to think about taking it out to the world, or they've got an idea and they've Build something and they're showing it to a couple friends. You know, in the in the past, with the, some of the principles that that uh, you've talked about in running lean, the next step would have been okay. Write your you know create your one page canvas that describes your business. Which for those of you who are not familiar with the the the, the lean canvas, you know, it's a one page business model in a in a one sheet, and then go out and do qualitative discussions with customers. When you add the the techniques and scaling lean about that, what else would you tell that entrepreneur, that that new entrepreneur in that first discussion? Yeah, so it, the lean canvas is is great at getting the business model story out. So I often will draw the the parallel to a business plan. So the lean canvas replaces all the words in the business plan. What it doesn't do an effect as an effective a job at is doing the financial forecasting, so the Excel magic wizardry that we do in, in the business plan. And I'm not a big fan of the Excel wizardry because it's, you know, it's just plugging on a bunch of numbers and trying to make a specific outcome look, look believable. But the exercise is still a valid one. So in, in the Scaling Lean book, I talk about a more bottoms-up model, a bottoms-up approach for doing that same exercise but sizing that business model. So that would be where I would start is that when I work with teams, I first will understand their business model story, and then I always want to understand their backstory, and I want to get into their why. So what is their goal? If, if we could magically wave a wand and fast forward three years in the future, what outcome do they really want? And this is like the Simon Sinek, you know, start with why type of a thing. So for me, I try to understand that because I've learned that no two entrepreneurs are the same, and their goals are going to be are going to be different. And that ambition or that goal is what's going to, in many ways, inform their strategy on how they go about this. Um, so, a way to kind of illustrate that is, I I travel quite a bit, and I've I met this one team in three different countries in three different accelerators in a year. And when I see that, I always you know I always think that they're wasting their time because they'd much better be served. You know, getting either their idea straight so that they actually don't have to go accelerator hopping. They can just go to one and get funded and off they go and start implementing. Or they need to have a real sit down and ask themselves, are they really looking at accelerators as a development shop that's funding their development um, or what's going on here? So to me, that's an awful waste of time. And so I often would like to get people to start with that goal. Um, and so the next steps beyond the lean canvas is what, in the, what I describe in the book as a traction model. So let's figure out what your minimum success criteria is. So those two or three years out in the future, what is that? Is it a revenue goal, an impact goal? Let's convert that into some customer behaviors that we can measure. So I'm a big fan of Dave McClure's pirate metrics are uh, the acquisition, activation, retention, referral revenue steps, um, something I describe in the book as well. So we can use not thousands of numbers, but three to five numbers to create a traction model. And that's what I would use to measure measure the, the team against. 
Yeah, I think I, I mentioned this in my review, and I think I suspect that some listeners are going to take this as a bit of a hyperbole. But I think I think the idea of starting with a new team and saying, "What does success look for you? What does success look like for you in three years?" is one of the most valuable pieces of advice I've written about startups anywhere. And the reason I say that is because so much of what we read and what we hear about comes out of Silicon Valley or you know or, or New York or, or startup hubs where the people who are writing about this have a have a very yeah, have a very clear definition of that and that is you know become a billion dollar company. Right. Um, and for the overwhelming majority of the people that you meet and I meet around the world, that's not the goal. And you know, the goal is to you know to build, to have, to create jobs, to create a new type of workforce, to do more meaningful work, to displace, a, you know, to come up with a secondary income, and that's what most people want to do. And if you start if you start giving people advice that's that says you know you know hey you've got to grow by seven percent per week and you know be the next unicorn or you're wasting your time you're not doing anyone a, a service um, so so I guess when you when you introduce that idea when you say to a team what does success look like for you in three years how do people respond to that it's it's a it's, a, it's one of those deep hard why questions but I actually found people once they understand where it comes from. Um, they actually come up with some some ballpark numbers, and again, you know, what I tell people is that it's not about um, getting an accurate number; it's really ballparking, and it's also not about thinking about what investors want you to think is how big can this really get? Like, what is that biggest upside? And in the book, I talk about how if we took a time machine and went back and interviewed Mark Zuckerberg or the Google founders back in the day, they wouldn't have. They would have laughed if you told them, you know, you, you guys are going to be billionaires and build a billion dollar idea with with this company you have. Uh, both of them thought the company was not that big. Google tried to sell themselves out of desperation at one point for a million dollars to Yahoo. Mark Zuckerberg for many years talked about how he would one day start a real company because this was just a nice, fun thing he was doing on the side. Um, so the point of all of that is that we may not be able to predict what you know five or ten years look like because a lot of that will, will change and we are opportunistic and we will grow with it. But a lot of those same entrepreneurs were able to predict what their minimum success criteria was just two, three years down the road. And that's where I get people to start. And that makes it a bit, a lot more tangible. And um, you get a founding team together, you know, what's in it for them. Not, don't think about kind of investors, what's in it for you personally. And I think starting with that allows you to build a model where we can start with that deep why question. And it's going to fuel a lot of things like even should I should I even go and, and be chasing a, an investor or a VC? A lot of us, as you mentioned, just follow the bandwagon effect and think everyone just needs to go down this one path. And that's a very short-sighted type of thing and doesn't really do a, 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 lot, a lot of the entrepreneurs' services are just, just not even questioning their, their deeper why. Yeah, I, I know that's it's definitely true for me, Ash, and especially you know this, this podcast is about starting a SaaS business, and I know that you and I both work in that space, and it's it's really it's really powerful for this type of model because just purely on a on a practical financial standpoint, you can you know SaaS businesses will typically sell for you know depending on you know other metrics one to you know one and a half you know two times you know your revenue. And you know, you start that gives you a pretty good indication of how much value you're going to create 
after three years. So if you can make a two million dollar you know revenue SaaS business, you might be able to sell that thing for between two and four million dollars, depending on market conditions and other factors. You know, just flat out sell that to another company. Yeah. Um, so if you own half that company, you know that's what you got before taxes. And it's just a very and you know the question is. Is that enough for you? Mm-hmm. And um, I spoke to an entrepreneur yesterday in that situation, and his answer was, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. He's like, you know, I'm not going to go for the A round. This doesn't look like a lot of fun. I don't want to deal with, you know, I don't want to deal with boards and investors. And I got this great company that wants to buy me, and I'm going to have an earnout for a couple of years. And, <laughs> yeah, and, he, and he just saved himself. I mean, if he is a CEO, he just saved himself months of pitching and, and fundraising and you know, that's a continual it's a full-time job it doesn't it never stops um, so I think if you just make that decision that I want to bootstrap and I want to use customer revenue to, to kind of create this nice business and then eventually sell it it frees you to do you know focusing on that value creation and not worry about all these other distractions Great. Uh, well, well, thank you, Fresh. Let me just go through a couple of the questions that I that I had here in, as I was uh, reading the book. But um, one of the you know one of the concerns I had when I was reading the book is that you 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 cover so much ground, and, and like I said, I think it's it's deceiving about how deep it is, and it would be easy for somebody to kind of flip through the book in an airplane ride and say, oh yeah, this is you know this is you know, this is the usual stuff, but. Uh, Given that you know it's it's taken you years to get to this point, and and it's had, it took me three times reading the book. How <laughs> would you expect first or second time time entrepreneurs to use the book, or or, or even better, so are you getting feedback from those type of people? Yeah, so I I have put it into practice a lot in my workshops, and where I where I get people to start, and again, I, I think what I find is that if you can write a book that leads into, so it's not a book that like my last book, it's more of a read a little, I mean, you can read it one pass, but you learn a lot more, internalize a lot more by doing it. So it has exercises and things that you do along the way. Um, so I find that the thing that gets people going is that they have this idea, they don't know if it's worth pursuing. And that usually is, is a question that a lot of people have and everyone is, is dying to know the answer. How do I estimate whether this is even worth pursuing? So I often will say that the first three chapters in the book build that foundation and get people there. Um, and and that's that sticks and works very well. The rest of the, uh, the other the other two parts of the book are for when you begin to put the idea into play. And so it may be a book that you read and you kind of internalize the concept, but as you say, you have to come back to it multiple times to then apply it at the right time for it to really stick. Um, so it kind of in retrospect, and I had this conversation with my editor too because I when I first showed her the book, she said you have five books in here. <laughs> And so I said, well, yes, but I, you know, I, I like to write books like that. And so she kind of, you know, talked me out of some of the things which maybe didn't connect, but she also liked the style of writing a, an evergreen book. Um, so there are some books, as you say, I, can, I could have taken each of the parts of the book and then just kind of built it out into three separate books. Um, but given the publishing cycle, given the actual effort that goes into it, I felt it just better to write a book that people keep for a long time. Um, which, you know, I've been happy to see even with Running Lean. I still get people showing me uh, dog-eared books and how they still refer to it because, again, it's one of those books that is very uh, – it's, it's, it's new content on every page. It's not kind of regurgitated – you know, it's not one idea regurgitated throughout the book. So people are still going back and, and reading, finishing the book or I would say applying the book. Um, and I think this is, this is – that was my goal with this book as well. 
Well, it's, uh, at least in the case of, we'll see how much scaling lean stands the test of time, but uh, running lean sure has, and I just recommended it once again this past week. So there's there's one there's one data point for you. I still think it's in terms of giving an entrepreneur a, an actionable book that they can they use and, and work with. I still think it's the best out there. Okay, last question. Um, so let's just do a little thought experiment here. Let's suppose you, you meet a team at an accelerator, not, not somebody who's gone through three different accelerators, but maybe somebody at their first accelerator, and they read Scaling Lean, and they decide to put it into practice. And one year later, you meet the team. What are the two or three questions you would ask this team to see if they have put your key ideas into practice? Like, what would be your gut instinct of whether or not they really got it and they were doing it versus just somebody who's, who's uh, you know, just going through the motions? Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I do this diagnostic. It's a 30 minute exercise. It's a 30 minute conversation um, with, with any entrepreneur and I can very quickly get a sense of where they are. So I would definitely start with, you know, what does their canvas look like today? Um, so if I talked to them before, I kind of have, uh, you know, uncanny recollection of they show me their previous canvas. I can probably remember a lot of the details of what they talked about because I've seen so many of them. So I want to see how that story evolved. But what I would really hone in on is what does that traction metric or the customer factory model look like today? So a lot of the book is really about here's your goal. Um, are you achieving it or not? And if you aren't, what are those riskiest things or those riskiest assumptions that you need to be testing? So for me, I would dig into that and really try to see if they are there. You know, so, so things that I look at evidence of people practicing this is small, you know, small batch sizes. So they're not going out and building lots of big things. They're sourcing lots of ideas and they're testing a lot of things, but they need to be measuring and showing that there's additive progress along the way. Um, so for me, that's what I always ask. So a classic example, when I do talk to teams and accelerators, they'll point to all the interviews and the learning they've done. And for me, I'd, I'd be like, that's great, but show me your customer traction metrics. Show me where monetizable value is being created and usually that's where the rubber hits the road. Uh, the other thing I really look for is repeatability. So if a if a if a company come if a if a uh, if a team comes to me and say we have a hundred customers today and they're very happy about it, I'd be happy for them. But I want to know where do their next one hundred customers come from? Have they figured out the systems they need to put in place to to achieve that? And that's where this factory metaphor really comes from. Is that once your once your business model is running, it's going to produce give or take some variances, a certain amount of customers just on its own. You know? And that's what our jobs are, is to build those systems. Um, but if you don't have a system built, then you are going to be going up against a lot of kind of uphill battles to just acquire more customers. Or so you want to f first get repeatability. Um, but then I really challenge the team to say, how do we 10x their, their output? So if they have 100 customers, don't think about um, how do I get the next 200 really let's start thinking non-linearly how do we get the next thousand and let's start talking about whether it's a growth strategy or some new campaigns they need to run let's start you know, talking about them and putting them to test so that would be how that conversation would really go over that 30 minute period yeah i guess i have a similar sort of checklist in my own head i don't have a formal one but it's it's along the lines of you know what are your biggest risks you know where are you most constrained what's your yep. next you know what's your next goal what's what's the one thing stopping you from getting there and most of the time, what I hear back from people is, uh, well, um, raising money, right. uh, maybe no, I mean, they're just not even, they're not 
they're not engaged with that. And that's usually when I see people who are just executing without no, having a real direction. Um, and, and I, and I mean, I can empathize with them. This is not meant as a criticism. I've, you know, I've, th- that's what I've spent most of my career doing is making that mistake. Um, so, um, sure. certainly, certainly no judgment. Well, Ash, um, thank you so much. Um, you know, I thank you for, for all your work. I know a lot of it is, is somewhat thankless at times and it takes, you know, years of, of tedious, unsexy work to be able to put something together like Scaling Lean. Um, for those who want to get the book, where can they get it? So we uh, got the domain name scalinglean.com, so that makes it easy to remember. Um, you can go on, go on there. Um, we are you know, giving some bonuses along with the book if you buy it there, but otherwise, um, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, retailers, uh, the book is available. Uh, it went on sale this week. Great. Thank you so much, Ash. Um, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, Kevin. Take care. <laughs>